Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So we got a lot of work to do here with the potentially even more truncated offseason. So we got to get started on some more of these offseason outlooks and the Atlanta Hawks. The free agent boogeyman, as I have called them, will talk a lot about where they need to concentrate their money, who they might be looking at with the sixth overall pick, and our opinion of the reporting that they may look to trade that pick. Lots to discuss here with one of the offseason's most fascinating teams. So why don't we begin with their overall financial situation? Yeah, so part of why the Hawks are such a important piece of the 2020 offseason is because they have a bunch of space and they also have an intriguing foundation on top of that. So if you remember before the trade deadline and before COVID-19 changed the kind of revenue estimates and we don't know exactly where the cap is going to be, it looked like the Hawks were going to have a, a, a totally insane amount of space. And that's still a lot, you know, they have 40. Uh, so the, the number that I'm using is about 45 million. Now that if you count in roster holds, that gets a little bit closer to 40. But when you think about where this team is, and remember they have Trey Young, they they traded for two centers that are under contract for next year in Clint Capella and Dwayne Dedman. The the challenge that I've had kind of going through the Hawks is, as you, you kind of got it in the intro, is how do you concentrate their money? Because they don't, they have a lot of guys, I think, that Travis Schlink wants to try out. They have a lot of players to evaluate. They have a lot of players that they think are key parts of their core. So how do you build around that while making the best possible team now and moving forward? Yeah, and so that $43 million or so in cap space, that's based, of course, on a $109 million salary cap that does not include free agent cap holds for DeAndre Bembry, Scalabissier, and Damian Jones, all of those restricted free agents. I do not project any of those three to get a qualifying offer from this team. And all the reporting has indicated that there is pressure from owner Tony Ressler for Travis Schlenk to take a major step forward with this team last year was a huge disappointment although one that you and I predicted because their backup point guard and center situations were so miserable and they had a a ton of young guys on the wing as well so there's this pressure to move forward just in a general principle is that what they should be trying to do right now it has been three years of rebuilding essentially we're really only a couple years into the Schlenk era uh I guess maybe three years into the Schlenk era but Should that pressure exist right now? Is it time to try to make the playoff push with this group? I would say no if your goal is to like win a championship or something, you know, that that hefty because building the asset base, especially with the highly regarded 2021 draft class could be beneficial. But also part of why I think the Hawks might be closer than than some is just because of the the low hanging fruit that left un, that was left unpicked last year. So the, this that I you know, this was a hallmark of 15 and 60s last season. 
the Hawks were great in Trey Young's minutes. They were, you know, if we're using clean the glasses, garbage time filter, the Hawks were outscored by about five points per hundred possessions. That's not great. That's like basically bottom quarter, around bottom quarter of the league. However, they were 8.4 points per hundred possessions better when Trey Young was on the floor than when he was off. And a big part of that was just incompetent point guard play. You know, they relied on Evan Turner as their backup one. Also, you know, when Young missed time due to injuries or just fouling out or whatever. And being passable in those minutes, in the non-young minutes, would make a huge difference. That would, you know, that would keep them in games. It makes it makes wins, it leads easier to hold. It makes deficits smaller and easier to, to eventually overcome. So that is one small thing. But of course, you could say, hey, well, if they're getting outscored by five points per 100, per 100 possessions when Trey is on the floor. And I think adding Clint Capella, having John Collins available, remember he missed a bunch of the season too, that will that will help. So I, I think that if you're basically cool being, you know, probably... I would I wouldn't expect unless there's massive you know like depending on where Cam Reddish and some of these guys go that the Hawks are going to be championship favorites in the next five years and so if that's what's important to you then maybe you make one more bite try it one more time but outside of that I think it's I think it's reasonable to at least attempt it. When you say one more bite, that means being intentionally bad again this year. Well, so not intentionally bad, but not not pick. aggressively maximizing is what I mean. Like basically yeah. being being open to baking. Because because remember, when a team has forty three million to work with, you can go in a lot of different directions, and some of those are getting players who can help you, but might not be a perfect fit for where you are now, or might be you know getting better you know you could think about various different different ways that can happen and the you know the the other way of talking about this and you and i get into this a fair amount i mean this year with the warriors having the second pick it's become more prevalent in timberwolves as well is you can theoretically give up that draft pick to get somebody who can help you more right now and so those sorts of moves i would be a little bit more reluctant depending on what the offer is but you know but filling the gaps trying to get guys that you think are reasonable parts that can be reasonable parts of this year team even if they don't end up you know being a huge part of your future like let's say trading for patty mills as opposed to signing a free agent you know patty mills isn't probably going to make the 21 22 hawks any better but it would help so my general philosophy here is that yes take the steps to be better this season as long as you are not hurting yourself for how good you're going to be three four years from now right so trading the sixth pick to me that's out no way would I do that to trade for a veteran unless there was a player you had identified who was young enough that you're like, yes, this guy could be a part of our core going forward. So it really would have to be a guy, you know, in the first four years, five years of his career, right? And, you know, if say this one may not be perfect, but for example, the Spurs couldn't agree on an extension with Derek White and were willing to take the sixth pick for him, right? Like that's something I might consider doing, right? Uh, that type of a player, and, and White's even maybe a little bit older than you might prefer. Or, I mean, and the sixth pick wouldn't be enough to get this guy. But if, say, the Pels didn't want to pay Brandon Ingram a max, and so you would include uh, the sixth pick, you know, you'd make the pick for the Pels and then do a trade for him. That's, again, this is just an example. That's not at all a realistic one. But those are the type of ones, you know, would toronto be interested in og and Anobi for the sixth pick you know that one might be a little bit more realistic um but your problem there is even if you were to get someone like Anobi, i think he could really help them this is your last chance at getting like that second star to pair with trey young unless you believe that john collins is that guy which i largely do not um so that's 
that's all I'd be looking to do with the sixth pick. You know, if it's going to be, we're going to trade for a 28 year old, hell no, no way I'm doing something like that to try and get better this year. Um, another option would be the like real option of still kind of slow playing it would be either signing guys to one year deals potentially taking on some bad money although there are some other super fun sites out there as you coined the term who might be willing to do that and then just preserve that same amount of cap space about 47 million going into next year's free agent class which might be a little bit better now are you going to get a superstar in that class no and you could make the argument that the hawks are sitting pretty here as the best destination and the most money this year and so maybe they should use take advantage of that now when there's a lot less competition than there will be next year so those are uh, some of the theoretical constructs uh, that they could be looking at and the middle ground which i think they'll probably will end up doing is try to sign a player or two to a good value but longer term contracts a player who has some upside and then also just use the sixth pick on whoever they think is best hopefully again someone with a little more upside than your deandre hunters of the world and fill in your spots where you still need help as having another creator and maybe one more wing guy as well and then see if you can't get into the back end of the east playoff race this year but you've still set up well to continue to improve over the long term i'm gonna throw one more idea at you i'm not saying this is going to happen but atlanta is actually pretty well positioned theoretically it looks like almost all of the teams at the top of this draft are looking to move down and if one of their players whether that's hunter or reddish maybe john collins is kind of overvalued by one of those teams as somebody who's cost controlled right now and then could event you know can be better in the future i don't necessarily i mean i don't love lamella ball for them because they already have trey young and i think i i think that you you make the gamble that he's the right guy but if the let's call it the asset cost isn't very pronounced i think they should at least have exploratory conversations with like the warriors and the timberwolves there and i mean like so that'd probably be for wiseman or i mean local product anthony edwards would probably get some attention there too went to uga but i i think it's worth acknowledging and then the other thing that atlanta can offer theoretically in one of those deals is a couple of those teams are very impacted cap wise you know they have contracts that they don't want in their books the warriors are dealing with this gargantuan tax bill the timberwolves have more than they want atlanta could be a facilitator that way and so if it if the overall cost of moving up isn't that extreme i would i would consider it now this is another one of those you have to talk about in the abstract because we don't know what what that would be but especially when you think about and this is i think a way of transitioning because we've watched so many of these players already into who could be available at six I think the difference between who's available at two and who's available at three is, you know, like that is dramatically different than at six. And so I I would consider. Well, quickly to comment on your idea of moving up, LaMelo would be my guy there and, but not for this team, obviously, because I think he's too much of a conflict with Trey Young. I don't think the fit of those guys is amazing together. I mean, you do need two ball handlers. It's true. Uh, and Trey could maybe play off the ball a little bit more, but those guys both seem like your primary pick and roll options. Edwards' profile as a scorer seems a little bit better, but you know I'm just not sure that he's any good really. And Wiseman would have made a lot more sense before they just trade a first round pick for Clint Capella, who's still under contract for three more seasons after this one. So would they draft over the top of Capella with Wiseman? I mean, if you're really a believer in James Wiseman, then maybe. But I don't think that's necessarily the case for them. And, you know, I think Wiseman kind of him turning out as like maybe a slightly better version of Capella is kind of probably his most likely outcome, I would say. And so 
why would you expend the treasure to move up a, and grab him well and, and the big the the other part like i could see moving up to get edwards just because he has more ceiling if you could get him at like four or so like if let's say the the bulls or somebody's just not that interested in him and at that point it's not that big and let's say you take on one of their you know take on felicio or something and, and maybe you give them a young player that isn't one of your foundational pieces sure and that's why i'm saying like you just be a little bit flexible with it but a big part of that and i think this can get into the to the draft discussion is just i i think there's a drop-off as much as i'm not the biggest fan in, of edwards you know like especially if if isaac okoro is off the is off the board at six and my inclination is that he might be just because that skill set and the positional scarcity is so valued around the league if like so it kind of getting into the idea of some of the other guys in that range i don't particularly love them for the hawks either so that's why i'm saying like if that player is is enough of an upgrade but again it depends on what those what those teams like charlotte want yeah i agree with john hollinger what he said on on our pod yesterday that this is their last chance in theory certainly travis schlank's last chance because if they're drafting this high again either they got super lucky in the lottery or schlank is probably going to be out because they didn't make the improvements that wrestler wanted and they have a lot of young guys they have guys like hunter the sort of low upside play so i would want to go with whoever the highest upside guy is who's available at six i mean maybe unless it's a point guard i mean you still want someone who can trade play next to trey young but there isn't anybody that i mean i guess would killian hayes be the highest upside guy available at that position you think you mean of like point guards or just overall just anybody any player who would be available at six of the guys we've looked at i mean maybe a kongwu just because if he can be if he can be that kind of defensive center and then he you know he was efficient as an offensive player at sc that could be a possibility and then a coro just because i mean it's funny like we saw the we saw the hawks draft two forwards last year there is you know getting a let's call it a capable starter who could maybe be better than that on the wing that's important i i would i would say i would say a coro i would, maybe not his pure ceiling but if you take into account some of the other stuff i think that could be important yeah, and there are some who at least see something in Okoro in terms of upside, and he's probably the most athletic guy. I would say it's been so long since we looked at him. I'm going to have to go back and look at a little bit more films just so it's fresh in my mind before we do our final draft boards here. And Tyrese Halliburton, I'm sure, is someone who's been floated as well as someone who can shoot the ball, which they desperately need some shooting on this team as well. Let's not forget that, that they could not make a spot-up three-pointer last year, which is a big part of their problem. You know, the non-young guys are shooting like 32% on threes. And I think as someone who could play next to Young and then maybe also do some stuff on the second unit, although obviously we were very concerned about his lack of pick and roll ability, it's a little bit less of a concern playing next to Trey Young. Any Halliburton would fit in with the up-tempo way that they want to play as well. I mean, there's nobody here that I love that I would even say is better than the guys that they have available at six. But uh yeah i mean maybe okoro would be my guy just throw throw another wing in there and just hope nobody knows how to evaluate these guys so maybe just hope that some of them hit ultimately let's turn out a free agency though i think that is where the meat of this discussion should be and we've talked about this a little bit before but is there anyone out there on the free agent market that if you're the hawks you would pay starter money to on a long-term contract you know something along the lines of 60 million dollars guaranteed is there any player you think is worth that on this free agent board 
Yeah, I mean, Brandon Ingram, if he counts, but we're focusing on unrestricted guys, I would say obviously he does. But it becomes a big problem after that because, like, you could look at, you know, Van Vliet doesn't, you could play him alongside, I mean, he's played next to a point guard before, but Kyle Lowry and Trey Young are not the same guy. Fournier, I think, is, is, I I like Fournier. I think I like him more than most, but he is 27, and I think he's a a nice fit. Bogdanovich and Fournier are very similar, I think, in in that respect, but Fournier is unrestricted. So that, you and I have talked about the Hayward possibility, but no, there isn't anybody outside of that group, and and the bigs, they don't, you know, you don't need to give those guys 60 million, especially with the investment that Travis Schlenk already made in the position at the trade deadline. The one player who might be an exception to this for me would be Gordon Hayward if he opted out. I think he is really, now he's 30, but he's exactly what they need. That secondary ball handler, but you know, not a guy who is going to be like a 30% usage guy, but he's a 25% usage guy. He can shoot when he's off the ball. He can run pick and roll. He would really improve their passing and ball movement, passable defensively, Just and he could run a lot of stuff on the second unit. Now, if they were to say, hey, you know what, Gordon Hayward will offer you three years, 30 million with a fourth year non-guaranteed. Is that something that you would do as the Hawks? So 30 million a year? Yes. I don't think I would, though the rationale that he is better than whomever they're going to get with that 30 million this year or next year, totally possible that Hayward is better, but especially when you consider the kind of the injury concerns just that he might not be the same guy again. I What I love about Hayward's fit is that you're going after a specific kind of niche out of necessity at the other forward spot. You know, they're getting these guys who are kind of defense first and can be low, more, largely lower usage, though Reddish showed a little bit of a sign and Hunter did going back to the preseason last year but Hayward makes all of those lives easier you're looking you don't need something as comprehensive at the other forward spot also makes life easier on whoever they get at the three so I I see the logic but that is such a big commitment when you consider how young the rest of the players on this team are and so like I think Hayward two years from now could be meaningfully worse and by that point Trey Young and if John Collins is still on the team John Collins will still be there so I I think it's a worthy thought to consider and I you know back when you mentioned that months ago I thought it was very intriguing but I if if I had Travis Link's job I wouldn't make that offer yeah I mean the more I think about it there's really and yeah that's definitely a high risk move given the age given the injury issues that Hayward has had I'm sure that Hayward would say hey I just haven't had a chance to show what I can do in Boston I am still the same guy as I was in Utah and he was starting to show some signs of that before he suffered that sprained ankle in the bubble but yeah very concerning some of the long-term issues the pain he said he still has from that ankle all of that but when you look on this market you are taking yourself out of next year's free agency potentially but again i don't see a player better than gordon hayward who's going to be on this team i think he does at least give you some legitimacy that yes a big free agent did go there uh I think that having someone who has that kind of respect, who's been an all-star, who can take the ball out of Trey Young's hands at times would be good for their chemistry to just not have Trey Young being the guy with the ball literally every single possession. I think I would do it because there's just nothing else to do, right? I mean, they have this money, it's burning a hole in their pocket. And I would much, I think I would rather do, you know, three years, 30 million, fourth year, non-guaranteed than four years, a hundred million for some of the issues that you said where it's, you know, once you're getting out there with Collins and Trey Young on their second contracts, then you could start to become impacted a little bit. Although we'll talk more about Collins. Maybe he's not as long for this team as some people might think that he is. Outside of him though, 
is there anyone else that really would be sexy to you on a a longer term deal i mean you mentioned fournier bogdanovich i i just don't think that those guys that's i I would much rather go hayward a guy who at least has the upside to play at an all-star level versus bogdanovich or fournier who i don't think they do um anyone else in that secondary creator type of mold that you think they could look at no one that I no one that I love really for for that role as I mean it's possible that the price for somebody like Fournier comes down to it but if we're talking at, at that price point no one else that really sticks out to me former Hawk Tim Hardaway Jr. I, he's been a smaller cog in a successful machine in Dallas this past year but I also think he's going to opt in but no I mean I don't think Melton is a good I like Melton as a player I'm intrigued by him but I don't think that he's near that level yet and, and none of the other guys like Gallo would make the Hawks a lot better and he could maybe help them in the in the near term but I mean to me that's a more extreme version in some ways of the Gordon Hayward thing because Gallo you know with his with his own health and injury history and like you talked about the kind of ceiling Gordon Hayward at his best has been a better player than Gallinari yeah I agree with you but Gallinari would come much cheaper than Gordon Hayward would I mean you know I think you could who knows I mean Gallinari you could probably get him for like you know two years 35 million or something like that maybe you know I think that's that's something that they might look at and maybe you could even get some kind of non-guarantee on the end i mean they would in theory have to overpay for him but he again at least gives them some shooting ability someone you can go to in an iso just a little bit just to vary up things a little bit what you're doing offensively again it's just none of these seem like amazing options but then you look at what else is out there and you're like ah maybe it's maybe it's still better than those um davis bertans has been linked to them again i worry about the defense with him but he certainly would make this team pretty nasty offensively i think Oof, i i do like bertans as an option just because of what he would do to supercharge their their offense and i don't think of him you know he's been a part he was a part of a truly terrible defense last year in washington but that obviously wasn't his fault and especially with the commitment with capella that the hawks have made to you know playing a non-shooter at center you know the parallels with the houston rockets are interesting having bertans out there could really be be beneficial now i don't think i would pay him in the 20 million dollar a year range and maybe on maybe on a three-year deal you could consider you could consider doing it and it's again the idea of like where else are you what else are you going to do with that money but I, li- I like Bertans for them a lot more than I like Gallinari even though Gallinari can do more with the ball in his hands than Bertans yeah Bertans a little bit younger as well I'd say Gal is a little bit better defensively I think I like Gallo better just because they need someone who's another creator um and among other creators kind of lower level guys where we're not talking about starter money type of commitments Jordan Clarkson Alec Burks those are two that stick out to me as not necessarily point guards but guys who can at least create for you hold on a second we got a dog barking here all right I think she's good but yeah guys who just I mean they desperately need a just jack up some shots score create at league average efficiency guy uh, who might not even necessarily close games for them but could play a little bit next to Trey Young and also just take a little bit of the pressure off of him and then if you had more of a caretaker backup point guard type that player would be one of your primary scorers on the second unit just to keep you I mean those guys aren't great but at least they'll just keep you afloat in a way that they just didn't have last year well and I think you also kind of want to solve both of those problems because you're gonna if the whole idea of 48 minutes of competent let's call it shot creation ball handling there and that was such a catastrophic failure for them and you need to have 48 good minutes even if your starter is unavailable and so I would say checking both of those boxes would be very beneficial and so yeah getting somebody like Gallo that 
like that i think that's an important part of the argument yeah another option if we're not talking about a a, a score would be contavious caldwell pope I, I think that's atlanta area native and someone who can hit shots better than the guys that they had defend opposing point guards they didn't really have anyone who could do that last year just to give them some competence in the three and d realm I think is someone that they could look at. We'll see. I presume that he would want to go back to the Lakers, but, and the Hawks would pr- again have to probably get up into, I would imagine, the mid teens on at least a two year deal to appeal to Caldwell Pope compared to staying with the Lakers. And obviously, the Lakers still have the ability to pay him, although they're going to try and keep his price down so that they can use the full mid level exception. So maybe Caldwell Pope could be gettable and call pope is still only 27 years old so it's not like he's going to completely fall off that player type does tend to have a quick regression as they get into their late 20s early 30s so you you know a third year for him might be a little much you know maybe yeah, that's you a really good partially point. guarantee it um but yeah i mean those three and d guys kind of can drop off it seems like at, at just about any time um anyone else that would really be on your radar uh you know joe harris maybe is someone that they might be linked to um and well and and i'm sure joe harris's people would love to see the atlanta leverages come into play and you know as a, as a yeah. like there are a lot of players actually so i i talked about the limitations and a lot of this is the free agent class rather than the hawks that are like you know kind of centerpieces or focal points but there are a lot of like piece of the puzzle type guys that i think could be useful like for atlanta you know a backup point guard is obviously important there a ball create a, a shot creator off the bench that could be Jordan Clarkson or Alec Burks, you know, somebody like that. Capable shooters, Langston Galloway could be good there. GR3, if you just want another like competent body on the wing, Joe Harris, I think certainly fits that description as well. And and then you probably don't want to don't want a center, but you could get somebody who could be kind of like a small ball five, unless you think that's going to be John Collins. Somebody who can, you know, who can shoot it, who can shoot it, and maybe I, the Hawks don't really have great switching personnel, at least in terms of Trey Young. So maybe you don't want to go as aggressively for somebody who can conceptually do that. But there are a lot of guys. The problem is, are you really willing to spend twenty to thirty million on two or three of those guys? Like then those those commitments, even if the cap you know gets stronger in a couple of years, those commitments will probably generally those are the kind that peter out. That's why you know PJ Tucker for the middle level exception is probably the best full MLE contract at least that I can remember. Yeah, well, well Chauncey Billups was yes. back in the day, but it, certainly in the last ten years, absolutely now. Joe Harris, I think you have. There's a good argument that he should be more of a priority than Bertans. He's not quite the shooter that Bertans is, but he hasn't really been hurt at all, and he's just much more versatile defensively. And they're about the same age, so I think there's and the Nets are going to want him back. Obviously, you know, for Harris, it would probably get into the forty, fifty million dollars guaranteed as well to pry him away from the Nets, where I imagine he would want to stay, since many probably fashion the Nets a contender this season, and that's where he's made his career. Derek Jones Jr. has been linked to them by Barry Jackson. We talked about that on Thursday, and. Jackson saying that the Heat weren't going to offer Jones Jr. more than a one-year deal, or at least more than one-year deal guaranteed. So I don't think Jones Jr. would be too hard to pry away. I imagine Jones Jr. will have some offers in the mini-mid-level to mid-level exception range. Don't know how many years. But clearly, Jones Jr. would be gettable for the Atlanta Hawks if they wanted to spend the money. You know, something along the lines of a three-year, $35 million deal for Jones Jr., I think would probably get it done. Do you see him as worth that kind of money for this group? I think 
Jones Jr. has untapped potential, particularly, I mean, we saw it a little bit on the defensive end, but I think he can get more consistent and Lloyd Pierce, the coaching staff, you know, he's been well coached in Miami, obviously, but just getting the opportunities and having that kind of reach that critical mass of capable forwards could open up some new possibilities for them. You know, like having, like there could even theoretically be a time that they would play Reddish, Hunter, and Derek Jones Jr. together. You could do some zone concepts, could do a few, incidentally, you could probably run something similar similar to what Miami what Miami did with that 2-3 where you put your bad defenders on the edges of the 3 as opposed to in the top of the 2. Uh so that would be that'd be fascinating to see if if they could go to some of those ideas. Um you don't really have the same, you know, rim protector and if you're playing Derek Jones and Capella together in certain situations that creates a challenge. But yeah, I mean if that's if that's the price, I would seriously consider it. Um I think that Jones, you know, yeah, he, I, they have to get better defensively. To me, do. that's the he is the player who could most positively affect their defense that's available yeah i i think i think that's totally that's totally fair and also you know assuming that we keep the traditional form of free agency happening after the draft which is of course what we expect then they'll know if they end up getting a you know getting rolling the dice on a forward like a coro or i don't know we haven't watched like patrick williams or some of those other guys yet if they're doing that because then at that point you kind of have a lot of you have a lot of eggs in that basket in terms of playing time and development it can be it can be hard to do it but yeah i i think that's there and it also, though, as we're kind of getting into this, I think that talking about the the front court rotation for the Atlanta Hawks necessitates a conversation about John Collins. And so Collins, he just completed his third year, unfortunately a truncated third year due to due to that suspension, and that means that he is extension eligible. Collins would have a twelve point four million dollar cap hold for twenty one twenty two should they not agree to an extension. And yes, that would theoretically, if he gets paid more than that, that would save the Hawks money. They have so much money that it doesn't really matter that much. They're kind of the bizarro, you know, like if you have so much cap space, it doesn't matter that much the other way. But the big question is just how much do you want to pay John Collins? And the amount that I'm willing to pay John Collins, I'm assuming is significantly less than he would take right now. Yeah, I think that DeMontis Sabonis is an interesting analog for Collins. You know, Collins has said he believes he's a max player. I don't believe that he would it would require a max to resign him obviously if it would then you don't do that and potentially look for trade options as well but Sabonis I think is a little bit more of a winning player than Collins he doesn't have the suspension history in his past which is a concern but Collins did play quite well offensively when he returned from that suspension and you know I think something in the you know 16 17 18 million a year range would be about the highest that I would be willing to go as of now and we just have we know that John Collins can put up some numbers he shot the ball better last year as well but you don't know how he's going to look playing with Clint Capella I think it's relatively clear that he can't be a center defensively and just whether as you like to say the juice is worth the squeeze is he like that good offensively to where you can put up with these defensive limitations can you play him next to Capella and still have him be effective and then Capella can help you out enough defensively that John Collins and Trey Young together can work okay and then you you know maybe you sign Jones Jr. or Hunter or Reddish take a step forward I just don't have enough information about John Collins yet to make a deal that I don't feel pretty good about being movable and that he has a chance to exceed. Once you're getting to $20 million a year for him, particularly in this uncertain environment, we'll know more, obviously, if they set the cap bull for this year and potentially for next year. You know, if that's going back up again, then maybe you can feel a bit better about it. Um, 
your concern obviously is number one that he's going to be unhappy if he doesn't get the extension and number two that another team might attempt to poach him away in restricted free agency and there are a ton of teams that are young that will have cap space and could potentially be seduced by him putting up big numbers this year but i just think we've seen so little of this group in a real situation trying to win games that i'm wary of giving collins more than something in the high teens right and i think that it's a question of certainty and yeah if collins were willing to really lower his expectations then you could get to a point where you know even if it doesn't work out perfectly he's still theoretically a tradable contract that would that would work out for you know you you could get that i don't think that's going to be the case and i collins yes it's true that there have been times when the hawks offenses look good when he and trey young played together you know that was you know the the hawks looked more like the hawks during that time but i think some of that might also be like collins is a talented offensive player and the hawks don't have a lot of those other guys so is he getting a benefit sort of like you could say this is a bizarro version of what Derek favors got in new orleans this year of like yeah you're totally fine but you're also so much better than your alternatives that you look better that could be a possibility with collins also as you brought up the fit playing him with centers that have basically haven't been on the roster yet that's a huge huge challenge so like well we'll think about the fit here too right like Think about the idea of you're trying to sign free agents. Let's say they wanted Jeremy Grant, another player that they've been linked to, or Jones Jr., even if they wanted to bring in Jay Crowder or Mo Harkless on a shorter term deal it's just so hard to fit with this guy right like you can't really bring it he can't really play with a four he can't really play with a five we don't think he just really while a good player and a good offensive player just makes it so hard to fit around same as we talked about with others others of these 4.5s like marvin bagley for example that it just makes the rest of your team building so difficult and this is a team that has plenty of money you know collins has some merits But to say, no, we're going to go all in on John Collins and Trey Young as the pillars of our franchise, and we are going to pay John Collins as such, I'm not ready to do that yet. Well, and and the other point here, I I use the phrase sometimes of like, could this haunt you? And that's kind of, that can be a threshold test for various things, like whether you let a guy go and the extreme there could be like maybe Steve Nash going to Phoenix. And I don't think, first of all, the Hawks will have restricted rights. So if if John Collins, you know, gets that contract, Schlenk or his replacement will have the ability to decide whether they want to match that or not or facilitate a sign trade, whatever. So that is a huge, that is a huge arrow to have in your quiver that you can, that you can make that figure out that you can, you can have control over the process later on. But that said. I don't think of Collins as that type of guy, especially when you consider the lack of the, the lack of defensive versatility. And yeah, he's a capable offensive player, but he's a a dependent one. And and yes, we've seen some of those players be successful. I mean, Anthony Davis is maybe the best dependent offensive player that we've seen, and he just was an integral part of a championship. And John Collins is not Anthony Davis on either end of the floor, but it's kind of at least vague proof of concept that it can work. But I don't see Collins as that guy. And so that's why, to me, again, normal caveats, it depends on what the offers are. I would lean even further from signing an extension with him to this is the opportunity to seriously pursue a trade because the other team gets a year to evaluate, they get restricted rights, and 
as a practical consideration, especially in a year where there's so much cap space out there, I think it's going to be hard for them to not necessarily to move John Collins after this year, but to get anything of value for him just because of the structure of his contract of his, you know, contract time. Yeah. Now, what does that deal look like? A middling first round pick for John Collins? Eh, you know, I wouldn't want to give up on him quite that quickly. You know, I do as particularly if his shooting ability continues to evolve. Like I do think he has some upside as well. So I think you know this is what the restricted free agent process is like. You can hold on to him, and if he's so good that he's going to get some massive offer next year, then that's one of those good problems, right? Uh, And I'm not sure that there's going to be so much out there for John Collins that's really going to get you fired up as a a potential trade outcome. Quickly here, as, as we wrap up on these guys, I think I would like Jared Dudley for them as the new Vince Carter vet in the locker room, but who could also actually like come in and play smart and actually knock down some threes. They just don't have enough smart players on this team. You know, in a 15 minute per game role, I think he could be pretty useful. Again, that's kind of a lower level one larger shorter term deals for someone like jay crowder as i mentioned before i think langston galloway could actually be a pretty good fit here again it's just someone who can knock down some shots really good character guy and the hawks again could probably pay him more than other teams could and maybe that once more is a shorter term deal and they go back into free agency again next year maybe you think as the hawks hey we, let's sign some guys to one-year deals we can get better this year and then we're a more attractive free agent destination next year that's that's a possibility as well and galloway i think is the type of player who could work for that Wayne ellington would be another one uh even like bryn forbes just like give me some guy who is just going to straight up knock down the shots that trey young is going to provide and yeah you know maybe they're not gonna be great on defense but at least they're you know that the ball is going to go in when they shoot it one other thing i wanted to mention for the hawks is i I brought this up with a few teams but they're probably the clearest example of this is i don't see a lot of you know toxic you know you brought up the super fund idea like i i don't see a lot of situations where that makes a ton of sense for them especially because those contracts are generally held by the ones that teams want to offload by teams that are kind of asset poor at the moment so you can't exert the kind of leverage that those that you would ideally you know wield in those circumstances this isn't going to be like getting a first round pick and taking Andre Goodall I'm like yeah if you want Al Horford sure we could bring him back like that that's not a problem but Philly doesn't really have the assets to make that worthwhile and there there just really aren't that many circumstances I mean like there are a lot of teams that want to get off of guys but those teams aren't really unless like let's say the Cavs wanted to give up a really good pick to offload Kevin Love's money and I sincerely doubt that's going to happen a couple other ideas among the restricted free agents I think uh, either Chris Dunn or Brad Wanamaker would be someone I might be interested in as a backup point guard to just help them get better defensively. Sterling Brown as a low-level guy, we'll see whether he gets a qualifying offer from the Bucks or not. Uh, as you know, he's shown a decent ability to knock down some shots, and he's can defend his position adequately. And DeAnthony Melton, just as a younger guy who might fit into the mix as a backup combo guard, another guy who can get out in transition, give them a little bit more ball handling. Uh, some playmaking defensively someone else i would consider let's take a break here and come back with the chicago bull all right we spent a ton of time there on atlanta not going to need to spend nearly as much on the chicago bulls because they have extremely limited flexibility 
That's right. And in some ways, I mean, obviously it's a good problem to have, but moving up to the number four pick made that even made it even less likely that they could do something big because the Bulls, as I have it, you know, even if they let Dunn, Valentine, and Shaq Harrison go, all of those players are pending restricted free agents, the Bulls would still be over the cap. And then if you think about that, in order to actually wield cap space, you want to have more than the middle-level exception because otherwise it's not, you know, you might as well just stay over. But the Bulls, even when you count in their draft pick, I have them as $19.5 million over our current projection of where the luxury tax line is going to be. That's probably enough for them to bring back the restricted guys they want and use the MLE. Uh, and, and they could always, if they needed to clear a little bit of wiggle room, there are a bunch of different ways Chicago could do that from stretching Cristiano Felicio, finding, you know, like basically give, do, there are a bunch of little small things if they're really tight on the margins. So I, I, I think that while there are interesting dis, like thought processes that Arturis Konrishevis and the the new new look Bulls front office should be going through right now. In terms of a massive overhaul, my instinct is you probably wait a little bit on that, though there are a couple trigger points that could push that earlier. Yeah, what do you have in mind when you say that? Zach Levine. I mean, if yeah. if Karnishevitz, I mean, with, with Levine, I don't think there's as much that you need to do in terms of evaluation. Like, what is his fit? With, it'd be, yeah, it'd be nice to see him play a little bit more with Kobe White, if especially if you think he's the point guard of the future. But I think we have a pretty good idea what Zach Levine's game is, how he fits with various levels teams. And if Karnishevitz thinks that's not my guy, probably better to move him now than later, especially if you're kind of going to de-emphasize him within the Bulls offense. I mean, he had that, you know, had a high usage opportunity, was better than we expected. I will fully acknowledge that. But, you know, $19.5 million, if a team is interested in him at that price, if you don't think that you want to extend him or sign him to a new contract, you know, down the line, then generally speaking, and this kind of goes back to the John Collins discussion we just had, if you don't think a guy is right for you, I'm broadly in support of moving them earlier rather than later. Yeah, and I think there is a team we talked about, maybe the Sixers as a possibility for Levine, where they can use some shot creation or Orlando would be another one potentially these teams that kind of just struggle to create offense in the pick and roll from the perimeter and worth noting that Levine is extension eligible they could add as much as three new seasons to this deal should they so choose he has two years left at 19 and a half million but if they are going to agree on an extension this season they have to do so before the beginning of the season they could always of course extend him at any point after the conclusion of the 2021 league year they also have Otto Porter who uh, is probably gonna opt in to a 28.5 million dollar player option and maybe if things had played out differently he could have gotten the Harrison Barnes and gotten a longer term deal at less annual money but he's been so injured I think they're they're still actually really counting on him for next year but uh you would imagine there's no chance that he opts out of that Thaddeus Young has been someone talked about as a potential trade target for some more veteran teams such as say golden state with their 17 million dollar trade exception young 13.5 million this year and 6 million of his 14.2 is guaranteed next season and young a little bit of a disappointment this last year though he was part of their defense getting a lot better the thought of him playing together with Markinen is still one that maybe they could explore a little bit more than they did chris dunn his restricted free agency is interesting because he did make the starter criteria due to the truncated season and his cap or sorry his cap hold is 16 million but his qualifying offer is in the seven million dollar range and my prediction for a long time has just been that it's going to play out where he just takes that qualifying offer they make it to him they're happy to pay him another seven million that would still barely give them enough room to use the full mid-level 
they've already got 13 players under contract for next year including their draft pick without done so you bring back done you use the full mid-level and that's your team kind of it seems like yeah it, it does feel that way and the other huge negotiation that the front office has to deal with this time is Lowry Markkanen and Markkanen it's funny I don't think that we chose the Hawks and the Bulls to do together for this thematic connection but I think there are a lot of parallels between the Markkanen extension negotiations and the John Collins ones where you need to figure out how good this guy actually is before you pay him unless he's willing to take a lot less and with Markkanen the you know periodically the sparks are there like he's had some legitimately good performances but and it's clear what his position is he's not good enough defensively to play the center spot so he's probably presumably just a straight for but unless he's willing to take you know like less than starter money because i'm not sure he's a starter then i i wouldn't do it and you can imagine why he would want the opportunity but what's different about markinen is especially when you consider the you know the possibilities of going different directions with the team construction wendell carter and everything else that yeah you consider moving him but also i would be more open to like de-emphasizing his role within the bulls this year if karnishavis is less enthusiastic about markinen's future like i don't think oh you have to start him all the time even if he's not good enough well you probably have to start him because there's nobody else fair point i mean maybe if if auto porter's healthy enough maybe you could play porter and thaddeus young together but there are limitations of that pairing too of course yeah and i think they still need to find out more about what marketing can be he had an injury hit struggle last year complaints about how he was used in the offense he got fewer on ball opportunities and like you you know would i want to pay him more than 15 million dollars a year in an extension right now i don't think i would and you know as a guy who has kind of been one of their prized prospects there's a lot of anchoring there in terms of what he thinks he should probably be getting paid but who knows maybe these extension negotiations will change due to the pandemic and guys will want a little bit more security and teams can get some deals and i think there is a chance that marketing him could easily outperform 15 million a year but you know he's getting up there into his mid-20s now and has not really shown star upside i would say and while he's not as hard of a fit as collins due to his shooting ability offensively i think if anything he's probably more problematic defensively than collins because he doesn't have really even any kind of nascent shot blocking which collins has even if his help instincts are not amazing and collins is just he's produced way way more absolutely marketing he's been a he's been a positive offensive player which you know marketing he spaces the floor a little bit okay but he's you know he's got to get up into the high 30s from three to really start to become a huge weapon and then there's hope that he could do more as a one-on-one offensive player as well and that hasn't really materialized so i I, my prediction is that they're not going to necessarily come to an agreement i think if i were the bulls i am totally fine with that um you know as you look ahead to the 2021 offseason they could get up to pretty close to max cap space even with markinen's 20 million dollar cap hold and you know if they just wanted to move on from him then they could get like 60 million dollars in cap space if they wanted to um and that would involve moving on from young and uh thomas sadaransky as well so that's another reason to me unless he's going to sign for significantly below that 20 million dollar cap hold that i would want to just hold off and i mean he seems like he's going to be much lower in the pecking order of potential restricted free agents behind for example john collins next year so uh now maybe if a a bunch of other guys you you, on these extensions you kind of want to go in lockstep with what the rest of the market is right if there are going to be a ton of restricted free agents then you have less incentive to extend your guy because there's only so many restricted free agent dollars to go around the next year if everyone else is signing extensions and your guy looks like 
oh man, he's going to be the only restricted free agent out there, then you're maybe have are forced to look into upping your extension offer a, a little bit. But again, I just don't see Markinen being a hugely in demand guy at this point. Um, They've got Denzel Valentine as a restricted free agent. I would not give him a qualifying offer. Shaq Harrison, his qualifying offer would be smaller, right around $2 million. And again, they are going to be facing a little bit of a roster crunch here. That might be a reason that they don't bring him back. And he was certainly a favorite of Jim Boyle, and I love watching the guy play defense. But And maybe if they don't bring back Chris Dunn, then they would bring back Harrison. Those two guys are somewhat redundant to me. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And especially if, if Dunn comes back, I would like to have a more offensively capable guard as kind of that that fifth guard spot that'd be better I mean Sadoransky can shoulder some of the playmaking and obviously Levine and, and Kobe White are going to do a fair amount of that too and they have Archie Diakono as well he's on a fully guaranteed contract and then as a team option for 21-22 um, so that that is you know another consideration there yes I'm guessing Shaq Harrison won't be back especially with the front office turnover now if everything had held and they you know had Boylan as the coach and everything else then it very he very well could have come back but now with Billy Donovan and Kurnishivis there that's fundamentally different um also worth noting the bucks or sorry the bulls they do not have their own second but they have memphis so that is a move down from 37 to 44 not that huge deal though we're getting closer to the 45 range um so then the other big kind of big element of their offseason is theoretically the mid-level exception and the bulls could be one of the somewhat rare group to actually use the full non-taxpayer mle let's say that's somewhere in the nine to ten million dollar starting salary range is there anybody that stands out to you as being a good fit for the 2020 slash 21 bulls or moving forward because they could go young too yeah absolutely and the biggest thing they need obviously is just something at the three they've had to play chris dunn at the three last year for large swaths of it chandler hutchinson hasn't been able to stay healthy and hasn't shown that he can shoot the ball well enough to be ready porter obviously this is his last year of his contract they just need a long-term option available at the three and perhaps with that fourth pick they might look for someone like Isaac Okoro for example to bring in at that position but they were also linked to Derek Jones Jr. in that Barry Jackson article and I think he would be a solid fit there again for the mid-level now of course that more than one year eats into their 21 cap space but I think they can they still have enough flexibility there to use the full mid-level and do what they want to do in free agency next year and it's hard to imagine these guys improving enough to where they're going to be some marquee level destination next offseason anyway but it doesn't seem john hollinger and i were talking yesterday about how with the new regime hopefully there won't be a ton of pressure to get better and sign you know say jay crotter or something like that uh, to the full mid-level but all the usual suspects there on the wing glenn robinson the third uh one guy to watch out for with karnishavis's background might be tory craig as a restricted free agent again to just give them some kind of defensive competence and size defending on the wing not a great three-point shooter but hopefully with Markinen's ability to shoot it that's not as much of a concern uh but yeah just a body who can actually credibly guard a big player on the other team is something i think they desperately need um particularly next to levine and kobe white i mean you're just neither of those guys you know kobe white i think can grow into being a decent point guard defender in time like i think he tries he's got good size levine as we know is awful 
And so they need someone who can really defend that position. That's the biggest hole in this roster. Yeah, and I, that that plus like ideally modestly capable shooting is why Glenn Robinson the third is my my favorite for Chicago. I think that he can bring that competence and and also yeah. like when you consider just how few of those players are available, you know, any year. Like I, I think the GR three is going to get underpaid. He's going to be one of those players for us this year. And and the hard thing, like so, yes, having the full non taxpayer MLE is definitely preferable to not is that there aren't really that many players that clear like that that amount of money the difference let's say between that and the taxpayer MLE makes a big difference and that the players that it opens up are particularly worth it especially for the Bulls so like it, it isn't it isn't a clear cut like oh like they can get player x and, and team team y can't uh, I mean I think of Wes Matthews as more of a two than a three, but I think he's. Worth I think of him as more than a three, actually. I mean, I think he's at this point he's slow afoot, but he's strong. I mean, I, th- I thought he defended Jimmy Butler pretty he well did. in the playoffs, but yeah, him, Garrett Temple, Kent Bazemore. I mean, even guys like that, old friend Justin Holiday, even guys like that will be such an upgrade on what they had last year defensively. Just to get someone who, yeah, I mean, those types of players, as we mentioned, they can fall off quickly, but just over playing Chris Dunn at the three who can't even shoot a three-pointer and is undersized or Chandler Hutchison or Denzel Valentine. I mean, there's, you know, just even like an NBA rotation wing who can pretend to guard larger players at that position would be such an upgrade for them. Yeah, it would be a massive floor raise and considering the Bulls might be looking to be competitive right away, especially with the money that they that ownership did expend to, to their credit to get Karnaschevis and Billy Donovan and to pay Jim Boylan to not be there anymore. I think that that there could be a little bit of a push in that direction. And, and honestly, for the Bulls, the opportunity cost of going a little bit more immediate. Yeah, I agree with you, like going after Jay Crowder or something is a little bit is, is a little bit poor. But you know, there there might be a little bit of middle ground and it's the MLE and even if that's a long term contract, it's there. And yes, if they theoretically traded the number four pick to get better right away and that player wasn't young or something like that, that would be a more egregious one. And I think that's unless there's somebody else for the MLE that you want to talk about, I think that's the other I, I, I when I said there was only one other big thing, I forgot about the number four pick. And the way that I would frame it is and this isn't revealing the full board yet, but kind of as I'm feeling it out right now. I think that there that there are kind of three top top players in various in various capacities. Um and so if one of those guys falls to Chicago to four, yeah, absolutely. Even if they're not a perfect fit for the roster that you have on board. But then this is the question that I wanted to ask you is that I I am of the belief that first of all, because they're not going to help you generally right away, that team should almost always go best prospect available. Like that's my general assumption. You're going to take something special. And the point the question I wanted to ask you is my opinion is the Bulls don't have anyone that is so good at any position right now as much as I like some guys like Wendell Carter to say if the best prospect available at four is at the same position as them that I would avoid it or move them down at all so what I'm what I what I was going to ask you is before we get to the players available before is there anybody on the Bulls roster right now that would make you think twice about drafting somebody at that slot no I mean now if it's Onyeka Okongwu versus Wendell Carter like yeah I think I'd probably you know Wendell Carter probably kind of about the same as Okongwu to me as a prospect I might even like Carter a little bit better so you know I wouldn't draft over the top of him but no if there were a player I really liked I, I, I wouldn't say so um and there's been talk in the media recently that they would look to draft a point guard and maybe they see Kobe White as more of a shooter and score, particularly if they trade Zach Levine. This is not, of course, the regime that drafted any of these players. So that's more likely that you would see some drafting over the top going on there. I and mean, maybe there's 
talk that LaMelo is interviewing so poorly that he might fall to them. I mean, if that happens, I'd snap him up in a second. They should be really happy about that. Killian Hayes, I think, is is another guy who kind of fits into what they could use a, a little bit, just more passing, more creation. I mean, this is, uh, you know, one of the worst offenses in basketball these last two, three years. And it's probably a little early to me for uh, Denny Avdia. Again, just having some size on the wing. You know, I don't think Avdia is a stopper yet, and it, but he still has more size than some of the other players that they've had to trot out there and gives them some secondary ball handling as well. Um, you know, I don't think that would be a crazy pick there. Tyrese Halberton, I don't think he's really what they need. You know, we've been saying this about a lot of teams, but I think particularly with the Bulls, they just got to take shots at finding someone who's going to be their primary creator going forward here. Because, yeah, they have Levine but he's only got two years left and i don't know how good he is and so uh certainly you you know and as you're looking at him as a primary creator he's at the very bottom of the league when you're looking at that role so yeah i mean just some more bites at the apple there of someone who can create would be my number one hope and failing that you know maybe they could go in the okoro direction they're probably a little early for some of the other three and d guys who are being talked about there but you know i think my thought would be if not Lamelo, then killian hayes i wouldn't be incredibly happy about that but it's not a great draft that it is not (laughs) last thing i'll say on these guys too i talked about the roster crunch but they have guys that they can certainly wave Cristiano Felicio to be a fifth center, I guess, on this team at 7.5 million. They don't need to like open up more space for this year. Uh, and just to open up the roster slot, I'm sure they could easily move on from him. I think you could get a guy even just at the minimum in this market who would contribute more for you than Felicio at 7.5 million. So that would make sense. They are now yeah, little if they bring back done there's some possibility they could be getting close to the tax they got about 19 million between if the cap and tax come in as expected at the 109 132 range they have about 19 million to work with 9 million of that is the mid-level 7 million of that goes to dunn's qualifying offer so they might get into the hey you gotta dance around the tax a little bit there to where if they waive felicio and then brought in another roster spot they could be getting close but uh you know they could also always just pay someone at the deadline to take luke cornett uh, potentially uh i mean they've also got daniel gafford as a as a backup center and i think they'll still want to use him as a fourth big uh so cornett or Felicio I think both of those guys they could move on from maybe we'll see Cornette play better this year uh as he really struggled defensively last year I, I also want to mention the possibility especially with Karnaschivas being there that you know maybe he could be more active in trades is that the Bulls could end up being a facilitator and other stuff like I don't think they're going to make it an Al Horford trade or anything like that happen but they have you know Thaddeus Young and Sadoransky both of whom make about you know that 10 to 15 million dollar range with like with about half guaranteed for next season that might you know they could potentially get into some conversations if if they're interested like maybe even like a, a josh richardson type of deal like they could be a facilitator that i think richardson would actually help the bulls a lot depending on how they want to structure their rotation so i i I think that especially when you have somebody new taking over who isn't probably going to make big changes, even though I think moving Levine would be the right decision, that you could see some of those types those types of moves. Of like You're just in a lot of calls, and when you're in a lot of calls, people start thinking of you for that role, and there aren't really that many teams that are good facilitators this year, so Chicago could end up doing something there. Yeah, and also if they draft a point guard, one of Sadoransky or Dunn probably becomes expendable right. at that point. 
and Sadoransky's under contract Dunn isn't so uh maybe they would just not even make him the qualifying offer at that point I think he'll have suitors I mean he is a wonderful wonderful defensive player he just cannot shoot the ball to save his life but I mean he's he's an NBA rotation player and this team needs guys like that uh, ultimately let's turn now to the Toronto Raptors and the place to begin there is obviously with the overarching aspirations that they have in terms of their cap space 47 million dollars in space for next summer that includes the restricted free agent hold of OG Ananobi Norman Powell's player option Pascal Siakam and basically nothing else except the guy that they're likely going to draft this year at number 29 Kyle Lowry would come off the books uh and that doesn't include a potentially re-signed Fred Van Vliet so they'll need in the mid 30s or so to potentially sign Giannis if they sign Van Vliet for 20 million they won't have that but they could potentially move on from Norman Powell or even simply stretch him to get that money as they they need that so that's just the context for talking about the potential re-signings of their key free agents, Marcus Gasol, Serge Ibaka, and the aforementioned Van Vliet. Right, and so it becomes difficult probably for everybody other than Van Vliet, especially because Gasol and Ibaka are in their 30s. Ibaka, this was, you know, as of, we, we used the July 1st dates because that's when free agency was originally going to start and calibrating ideally for next year as well. Ibaka, 30, Marcus Gasol, 35. So giving those guys significant long-term contracts, even though the Raptors have sufficient bird rights, probably not tenable. But Fred Van Vliet, a huge part of what the Raptors have done. You know, they're no longer the reigning defending champions, but they are a very recent champion. And Van Vliet's skill set versatility is actually very valuable because he can play on and off ball. He can defend multiple guard positions. So the Raptors don't know exactly where they're going moving forward. I think we know where they want to go, but that's far from certain. And that makes Van Vliet more valuable to them and theoretically, unfortunately for the Raptors, to other teams. Just due to the timing of, of these offseason previews, we've actually talked about Fred Van Vliet a fair amount and other ones, including Knicks and my pie-in-the-sky ambitious idea that I think Van Vliet is a really good fit with the Phoenix Suns. So we've talked about that. And, and what I think is so striking about Van Vliet's negotiation that is really unusual is that I think the Raptors are totally in the driver's seat. They, I think he wants to go back there. They have the capacity to do so with bird rights and they have great coaching staff, everything else. But it is largely subject, whether it's through leverage or anything else, to the other offers that are on the table. And so while Toronto's in the driver's seat, they don't have a ton of control. Yeah, that's true. And I think at a minimum, my guess would be that it's going to take $80 million guaranteed to get him back. Somewhat similar situation to Malcolm Brogdon, although Van Vliet is unrestricted compared to Brogdon. But the problem is that three teams with cap space could really use Van Vliet. The Knicks, the Pistons, and the Suns. If you're the Raptors, you're hoping that the Knicks and Pistons just aren't really looking to get better right now. But Van Vliet is 26. It's very easy to talk yourself into a player like him. So he's really in a pretty miserable point guard market the only guy that i expect to get a big contract and he might be the only guy in free agency this year to get more than 50 million dollars guaranteed which is pretty crazy to think about um as far as an unrestricted free agent and so i mean i think if you're the raptors they don't have a way to replace him if if they take his 17 million dollar cap hold off the books they would have about 17 million dollars in space but what do you there's no equivalent player that they could get i wouldn't think i mean you know maybe would they try for like gallinari or something in that case you know maybe uh but van vliet at 26 i mean he's one of the pieces that you're trying to use to lure Giannis Antetokounmpo or some other free agent in 2021 and so 
whatever his price ends up being, you probably got to just pay it. And I, I like that you brought up the Giannis part of this because more so, I would argue, than Pascal Siakam, Van Vliet is a very logical fit for a Giannis-led team. He can defend well and he can can shoot and also can create a little bit in transition. I don't think that's Van Vliet's biggest strength. And so you want to keep him because it makes it makes it more appealing. And remember that even though the, they might have the best coaching staff and the best front office in the entire NBA, star players usually want to have an actual team around them too, whether that is a team assembled on the fly like the Miami Heat or the extreme, the Warriors like what Kevin Durant joined. And so you want to have players like Van Vliet to say, see, you can play with these guys and we'll be good right away. Yeah, and Van Vliet makes more sense on a good team with another primary creator as an excellent shooter, dogged defender. I mean, he's not a great finisher at the rim. He's not a great pick and roll guy, but he gets out in transition. He can at least, you know, penetrate into the lane, if not finish and set up others. I mean, he's just a very, very good player. And while he might not fit your normal conception of, hey, this guy is a $20 million a year player, because he's such a good fit places new york next to rj barrett detroit just because they don't have anyone else phoenix next to devin booker when you fit that many places even if you're not that high of an upside player you're going to get competition for your services and but i mean even if it's 25 million a year like i think you probably got to just suck it up and do it if you're the raptors like you just don't have another option and and also like yes that does preliminarily like make the math harder on getting Giannis if he says yes and that is a very first world problem to to deal with should happen but also there are ways that the raptors can offload they don't have a ton of it but like they could figure out something to do with norm powell and i i was wrong when i said a long time ago that they that his contract was was a more negative value one he's played a lot better since then and well that's fluctuated like approximately 37 times since right also worth noting norm powell has a player option he might just straight up decline that player option he could well the other thing that probably doesn't get talked about enough with van vliet is the raptors could probably hold the annual value down a little bit if they went with the fifth year which they'll have the ability to do that no one else could uh and they could also even go for the higher salary then eight percent decline for next year and then go back up so they can play with this a little bit so that they can give him more money than anyone else but still not get killed in the summer of 2021 yeah absolutely and i and i expect that all of those tricks will be involved in this uh because there there isn't much pulling the other way i mean the way that i've always thought about this is you negotiate the total amount of the money and then you ask the player hey do you care how it's structured and they say yes or they say no and then toronto presumably does it in the way that is most advantageous to them which would be that temporary dip so bringing back ibaka and possibly gasol that gets interesting with respect to the tax that you also have the full mid-level exception potentially in play there as well depending on what happens with ibaka and gasol van vliet with his 17 million dollar cap hold they're basically right at the cap as we mentioned. And so let's say they re-sign him for 20 million. You've got eh, maybe about 17 million or so below the tax. I'm sure they would like to be out of the tax particularly considering this team may not even play in Canada next year and they're not going to have a, a lot of revenue. But they also want to be as competitive as possible because they're trying to bring Giannis into the fold in the summer of 2021. And I mean, they could even be playing the Bucks. So in the playoffs, so you, you really want to be as good as you can. 
So there's probably enough room to bring back Ibaka on a one-year balloon deal. I mean, you would think maybe he has offers for three years at the full mid-level somewhere else. Like maybe the Lakers, depending on how things play out there, could get involved for that in terms of contenders. The Bucks probably not going to have the full mid-level to use you know maybe a team like new orleans could get involved where ibaka might be a nice fit next to zion williamson but the raptors will probably be the best team he's uh that can offer him a sizable contract and so if they need to go up to a one-year 15 million dollar deal does that trump in ibaka's mind a three-year deal at the fullman level for about 30 million would you have to go maybe a second year non-guaranteed at 15 million with like 5 million of that guaranteed so hey if we have to cut you to fit in Giannis then you're getting 20 million dollars for your efforts this year you know those are some of the scenarios that are going to play out but given how much Ibaka has seemed to be happy there and how much they need him it's hard and the fact that they do have full bird rights on him I think and I guess finally the lack of viable suitors elsewhere who can really pay him that much I would expect him to be back on a one-year deal next year something you know above the mid-level exception but for one guaranteed year I think so too and the Raptors really benefit from the top tier title contenders just not having that much financial flexibility the Lakers the Clippers the Bucks they can't really make anything big happen and even if we don't see the Raptors as a top tier contender those those aren't really there but it is worth acknowledging you know that the player is an important decision maker here too and we expect that Ibaka is going to prioritize you know he that he can get out on the market and get more money in 2021 that is you know that as a 30 year old he still has potentially that viability that he likes being in toronto but if he values the security wants a long-term contract kind of sees that maybe the market's going to dry up like it will for basically all of his big man brethren this offseason maybe he becomes a little bit risk averse maybe he cares a little bit less about being on a competitive team i expect that he'll be back but when a player really gets their choice in the matter i'm, I'm interested to see where it goes yeah and ibaka has made over 100 million dollars in his career now as well and worth noting too that for some of these guys if there's going to be say 40 percent escrow now you're not talking about the money mattering as much right Great it's going to be yeah you know hey you're making 16 million instead of 10 but 40 percent of that's getting taken away so now that difference isn't nearly as large right instead of a six million dollar difference it's a little over a three million dollar difference and you know, maybe that changes some of these guys approaches to where they would want to just go to where they wanted to be instead of just going after the money uh you speaking of his big men brethren marcus Gasol, some reporting indicating that he may be down to go back to spain i wouldn't blame him given how crazy this year is going to be given the fact that they probably aren't even going to get to live in toronto you know does he want to go play in kansas city or louisville or newark or something like that uh which has been talked about as a potential home for the raptors just because there's an arena there and it, it would make the travel easier to have three teams all in one area in the new york area if there's ever a year to jump ship it would probably be this to go back and play in spain and, and be with family during these difficult times but you imagine he again will have some offers he really slipped offensively as a scorer this year still remains a solid defensive player good passer great teammate all of that stuff so he will have suitors but you know if he's getting offers around the mini mid-level does he really want to deal with that or is he just going to go back to spain yeah it's really good i i talked about like the personal context with abaca i think that gasol is a better example of that with the considerations especially the possibility that the raptors don't play in toronto next year that yeah he could could easily go back there with 
whether it's temporary or more permanently, you know, kind of sees that as the sunset of his career. Um, and and like Ibaka, if Gasol wants to play in the NBA, there could be a bunch of different priorities. Maybe that would shift him to a, a smaller salary somewhere else. Like maybe he would be interested in playing for one of the LA teams and, you know, starting, but maybe not closing every game for them. I, I don't see Milwaukee as a particularly good fit, but you know, those are possibilities. But I would say Spain is the, is the more logical place for that for a variety of different reasons. Toronto doesn't have a ton of other decisions to make. Terrence Davis, we we talked about his uh, the the charges that were filed against him, but he has a non guarantee. I expect the Raptors to pick that up. There should be enough time for a, the situation to at least clarify before then. They have a non guarantee on Dewan Hernandez. I don't. We haven't really seen enough of him. That's going to be more what he's shown in practice. Matt Thomas, partial guarantee. I expect to see him back. And then the restricted free agency of Chris Boucher and Malcolm Miller. Yeah, a few comments uh, on those. Davis, his guarantee date is actually July 1st under the old parlance, but basically the day free agency starts. Same with Dewan Hernandez. Hernandez, we just haven't seen any of him at all. I think whether he gets guaranteed or not may just depend on what else is out there. I mean, they, they could have some solid vets available for the minimum. I'm not sure that they would necessarily want to guarantee Hernandez, who was picked in the late 50s last year. They have the 29th overall pick, as mentioned. Paul Watson, I really like him. He's actually on a two-year two-way, but I think they would want to try and bring him up. I thought he really showed some signs. He's gotten to shoot the ball better, extremely athletic player, you know, just another guy in this development system who I think, uh, of all the guys I saw who were on two lays last year, granted, didn't see a ton of them, but certainly, for example, in that Denver game at the end of the seeding games where, granted, nobody was playing their best guys, but... I thought he looked awesome. You know, one of the more impressive two-way guys that I saw. So I think they'd want to get a roster spot available for him. And Matt Thomas, his guarantee date isn't until the league-wide cutdown date. So clearly no reason to move on from him during the summer. And he gave them a little bit of something. He even got some tick in the playoffs at times. Malcolm Miller, I don't know how much he's shown. I, I wouldn't expect him to get a qualifying offer. He's a little older as well. He's nearing his late 20s. Boucher also 27, but he gave them effective backup center minutes. I imagine he'll get a qualifying offer. I could see him coming back on that qualifying offer, or maybe they give him something along the lines of, you know, three million this year, second year non-guaranteed. Uh, you know, they're not gonna they're not gonna want to give him any guaranteed money for 21-22, I would imagine. Um, but maybe they'll try to just fork over a little bit more to him in this first year. Stanley Johnson has a player option, which eh, probably going to pick that up. And they got Pat McCaw, who you know has been pretty much hasn't been heard from at all, making $4 million this year. If they do run into any kind of tax issues, you would imagine that they could find ways to move off of those guys' salary. If, for example, if they wanted to bring back Gasol and Ibaka uh, and were getting close to the tax, th- those would be the most obvious hits. And I guess the last thing to discuss here, Danny, is the extension negotiations with OG and Anobi, but I don't expect that will be too long of a conversation here. Nope. Very similar to... Bam Adebayo this year, Kawhi Leonard and Andre Drummond in previous years. OG Ananobi's cap hold is just 11.6 million and any contract that he would be willing to sign before then would be worth more than that. So that cuts away Toronto's flexibility. There is an outside chance, you know, like if Fred Van Vliet goes somewhere else, that that money might not matter as much. But for the Ra- for the Raptors, it's, you know, the, the opportunity cost of committing early, even if it ends up being more expensive for them later on, is just too high. I mean, they have lofty ambitions. And the, also, when you consider the money that Pascal Siakam is making, it's also more, you know, like they don't have as much wiggle room. This isn't a circumstance 
circumstance like the Atlanta Hawks where, oh, we might have more cap space than we know what to do with. So losing some of that for this is totally fine. They need to be pinching pennies. And while it could lead to some animosity that, you know, the same animosity that benefited the Raptors in the 18-19 season, I think that it's it's absolutely worth doing because if it potentially could make the difference between getting Giannis and not having to give anything up, I mean, you kind of have to roll those dice. I'm not so sure that they don't reach an agreement that would be palatable to the Raptors. And I don't think the rest of the league sees Ananobi as as good as we do, even though he had, a, I thought, a really nice playoff performance this year you know he, he at his core is a three and d guy and those guys value is in the eye of the beholder now we think he's the best isolation defender in the league and he's three-point shooting came along looked pretty good in the bubble he can do a little bit off the dribble as well big part of their defense obviously and you know if it were me i would absolutely be willing to pay him something in the high teens if i'm another team but particularly because they can give him the 8% raises. You know, if he want, if he were willing to sign an extension that started at like 14 million per year and averaged 16, I think you would have to seriously consider that. It only costs you $2.5 million of cap space. You can Oh, I would absolutely do that. Right. So but and so I I don't know that he 100% wouldn't be willing to sign. I mean, he's not a guy who has absolute star upside with the ball and so those type of guys don't sign for 20 million dollars a year generally even if maybe they should if it's a guy who's really as good as Ananobi is so uh I think it's possible they could get something done especially if with those eight percent raises you could start him in the 14 range that wouldn't shock me and again you know you just don't know what all the uncertainty with the pandemic etc what effect that's going to have on guys mindsets if they're going to see how crappy the market was right I mean remember what i was saying right like van vliet might be the only unrestricted free agent who gets over 50 million dollars guaranteed brandon ingram might be the only restricted free agent who really does well and so maybe if you're Ananobi, you're he was a low pick as well you know he made 3.8 million last year he also had a torn acl in college he had that miserable year his second year with a bunch of injuries he might be very willing to take that so yeah i guess it, it ended up not being a short conversation after all <laughs> <laughs> uh and this was not a short conversation either for these three teams but thanks so much for listening if you don't subscribe to dunk down prime you can get this ad free of course by doing that and generally you get five days of podcasting week although we will be back later this week since uh, danny and i are taking a little bit of time off but hey hopefully you know an hour and a half podcast is enough for you uh, on a sunday to get you through until wednesday later in the week we'll talk to you all then reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 